Chapter Twenty Two of The Hall in the Grove by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. It's in the atmosphere. In one of the pauses between the many meetings that mark a Chautauqua Sabbath, just as the twilight was falling softly on hill and grove, the pretty Amy, in her fairest of muslin creations, went out for a restful walk along the lake shore, James Ward at her side. This last item marks a continued affliction to Mrs. Fenton. She had laid many plans to keep James more under her influence, and less in sympathy with Amy. As yet, these plans were failures. The Sabbath evening walk was a disappointment to Caroline. She, too, gave much thought to James Ward. She believed that he was near certain decisions that would influence all his future. The thought that disturbed her was, what attention was he giving to the most momentous of all questions? How much was Chautauqua going to help him in this matter? "'Oh, Amy, where are you going?' she had called after the girl, with a vain hope of recalling her and holding her companion from this frivolous influence. He had been grave during most of the day. "'Only for a little walk by the lake. It is so lovely there,' Amy had returned sweetly. She had long since given over the folly of refusing to recognize Caroline as among her friends. "'To rest her brain after the heavy strain there has been on it all day,' said Mrs. Fenton with a curling lip. She was losing all patience with Amy. True, the child had become absorbed in kindergarten work, and was very skillful, but what did Mrs. Fenton care for this, so long as she constantly beguiled her protégé into tête-à-tête -tête walks, and so filled his mind that he could come to no resolute position regarding anything? Caroline did not respond with her usual happy laugh. She, too, looked grave and troubled. Mr. Masters had stopped on his way to his tent with a book for Robert. He sat down now on the lower step of the piazza, where Caroline was, and said inquiringly, "'Anything going very wrong in your world, Miss Raynor? Your face looks worn with responsibility.' "'I'm trying to carry responsibilities that I don't know how to manage,' she said, smiling a little. "'It is a special fault of mine.' "'We are most of us good at that, I suspect, shouldering burdens not meant for us to carry. Is that what you mean?' "'I don't know,' she said with a troubled face. "'How far ought we to reach after responsibilities? I think I am a little discouraged to-night. There are certain of our party in whom I have a peculiar interest. That young man who has just passed out of sight is one, and our Robert is another. Sometimes I am afraid that they are not going to get at Chautauqua what I specially desired for them.' Indeed, there are hours when I see hindrances instead of help growing out of this visit here. For what sort of help are you hoping? Oh, the highest that can be had, of course. And, as I said, I see hindrances. The very lavishness with which other attractions are presented tends, perhaps, to ward away the mind from matters of higher importance. He shook his head. False idea, he said emphatically proves too much, you see. If we abuse advantages, we may turn them into hindrances, it is true. But that is not a necessity of the advantages. There is nothing in the beauty spread around us with such a lavish hand that should lead the honest soul to forget God. What is your special anxiety concerning Robert? Why, said Caroline, glancing in his mother's direction and lowering her voice, 
I am afraid he is being led astray. You know what an eager, quick-brained young fellow he is, so ready to catch ideas and so anxious to learn? Well, his father and mother are not Christians, and he has not that safeguard. And just now he is deeply interested, indeed I may say fascinated, with young Mr. Monteith. You know him? Mr. Masters bowed assent. Then you know just how fascinating he can be, if he chooses, to a boy like our Robert. He takes Robert with him out boating and fishing, and rambling through these woods, and chats with him by the hour. Mr. Masters, do you know how dangerous a companion he can be to a young boy, if he chooses? Just in what way do you mean? Intentionally? Perhaps not so much as heedlessly, to give himself the pleasure of seeing how quick-witted a boy can be, or how well he can explain abstract falsehoods. He insinuates, rather than plainly speaks, false ideas, doubts, apparent absurdities of old standard theological doctrines, puts questions that are easy enough to ask, but quite difficult for a boy to answer, and, in short, without really intending to do so, unsettles the faith in which Robert was reared. And he is so fascinating in his manner, you know, and so exceedingly well informed. He can tell just the thing that a boy like Robert is keenest to hear, and astonish him so much with his great wisdom, that I do not think it strange that Robert should speedily acquire a habit of quoting him on all occasions, and grow into believing that what he thinks is true, and what he discards false. "'An excellent argument in favour of the widest culture,' her companion said, regarding her with a meaning smile." to present solid foundation truths of science and art and theology in the most fascinating style is exactly what chautauqua aims at oh i know she said in eager assent but chautauqua presents foundation truths in an attractive manner i am talking about one who presents falsehoods in an attractive manner give the boy a few years of such lectures lessons conversations etc as chautauqua affords and he will be proof against such a pretty glossing over of the false. That may be, but in the meantime, he is not proof against it to-day. In the meantime, we must unite our forces, and meet error with truth as wisely and fascinatingly as we may be able, and surround him with such a circle of prayer as his soul may not be able to escape from. I wish he had a praying mother. What about young Ward? The shadow on Caroline's face deepened rather than lifted. "'Oh, James,' she said, "'tries my patience greatly. It is not that I fear for his moral or intellectual progress now. I believe him to be fairly started. I think he will, without doubt, be a scholar and an efficient worker in some branch of honourable industry. But what I fear greatly is that he will fritter away the leisure in which he might attend to the all-important question until he suddenly wakens a man of the world, with a man's burdens to bear, and with an idea that there is no time for such questions. That is what Satan seems to succeed in putting into the minds of most busy men, the impression that there is no time for the most important interest of all. I know that James is troubled. I know that Dr. Monteith is anxious for him, thinks about and prays about him a great deal. I know that he has said some earnest words that James finds it difficult to ignore, and I think you have stirred his conscience more than once. Yet here he persistently takes these quiet hours that he might have in which to settle the great matter, 
and fritters them away on that pretty young girl who will laugh and chat with him as aimlessly as a bird might in bird language and forget him as readily how would it do to try to influence him through the young lady in other words set our whole battery of influence and effort in her direction looking to her to attract him in the same line oh amy and caroline shrugged her shoulders in a manner worthy of mrs chester herself her tone not only hopeless but almost scornful there is not enough to that poor child to influence anybody much less a person of strong will such as james has mr masters laughed it was so evident that caroline was strongly prejudiced in favor of james and against the pretty amy she seems to have sufficient influence just at present to be a source of anxiety to his friends he said significantly anything will do to create a diversion said caroline wearily i am so disappointed in regard to that young man i expected almost nothing for his brother but i had great hope for him you are speaking in the past tense do you mean that he is in your feeling beyond hope no not that still speaking weariedly as one discouraged but nothing works quite as i plan it ah that is bad for planners it is better to give over planning the side that your arm is too weak to reach and learn to trust meantime all unconscious of this discouraged tone concerning them young ward and his fair companion pursued their somewhat aimless walk among the trees winding in and out of avenues according as the shade or beauty lured them they came presently upon the amphitheatre with its bewildering rows of seats stretching up and up the hillside the path from which they emerged was on a level with the great platform and thither they went stopping together in front of the desk how big it is said amy impressively looking back and back over the intervening space to the last line of seats away on the hilltop why did they make so immense a place didn't it give you a sense of loneliness this morning so much worse than empty seats at home there were so many of them stretching all the way up those queer aisles do you think there will ever come people enough here to make this place look filled up extremely doubtful quoth james ward looking ahead and around him with the eye of a prophet they had two large ideas i think when they laid this whole thing out the children's temple is about the right size holding a fine audience and handsomely filled every evening but they must have had more faith in the future growth of the enterprise than i have when they built the amphitheatre and laid out the auditorium people don't rush to such places in the wholesale way in which they seem to have expected people ought to come said amy with a touch of energy and a sort of wistful look in her blue eyes i wish they would i wish all centerville were here and everybody whom i know or have to talk with her companion laughed slightly looking at her curiously just why do you wish that oh i don't know with a little nervous movement as of one unused to analyzing and explaining her own feelings it makes me feel different from any other place i was ever in all the people seem different seem in earnest they act as though they had something to do and liked to do it and it makes living seem nicer some way more important i don't know how to express it she had expressed it better than she knew the young man understood her 
it was the stirring of the immortal soul within her contact with earnest life and high-toned culture at chautauqua had awakened her the immortality so long prisoned and deadened was fluttering she would not be satisfied with life as she had been young ward realized it with a queer mixture of satisfaction and pain how far would this new impulse lead her if he advanced as he believed himself capable of doing would he have to leave her in the background on the contrary if he stood still or floated along just making effort enough to keep the rest in sight would she some day lift her wings and soar out of his sight what was chautauqua going to do for her anyway and also what was it going to do for him she went on presently in the same tone of suppressed eagerness the meeting here this morning made me feel so there were so many grand-looking men on the platform and they said such great things they seemed miles away from us from me and i almost didn't like it i wanted to get ahead and be nearer them i never thought about missionary work before it never seemed to me it would make much difference whether the heathen learned anything or not but it didn't seem so this morning while i listened to that missionary sermon i felt as though i should like to be in that work too only i am not fit of course but i just wanted to be counted in everywhere to know about things and understand grand men when they talk together as those men did after the meeting i don't think i feel contented with life as it has been i'm getting discontented with people too i used to enjoy walking and chatting with ollie chester so much every year when she went away to long branch or somewhere i used to look forward to receiving her letters and i thought they were so splendid and when she came home she had so many things to tell me yesterday i received a letter from her and i don't know what was the matter with it it just seemed to me too silly for anything whole pages of it i skipped i don't like to think of going home and hearing her talk all the nonsense that she will how fast little amy's wings were growing young ward looked down at her with a fancy that in a new and altogether unexpected sense he would need soon to look up to her it is in the atmosphere he said with a short laugh that was meant to have a note of sarcasm in it she did not detect it i think it is she said earnestly at least i never felt in this way before and i have been to a great many places the people seem so unlike those to whom i have been accustomed as i told you they seem a way up this morning i wished that i was a faded old woman and had been a missionary to somewhere for forty years my ejaculated james ward well i did it was silly too and i know it but i did want to be counted in to feel as though it was worth while to take up room in the world they went on now walking down the long platform out at the little gate down the hill into the valley below on through the winding avenues bending their course toward the lake but they came out presently in line with the long stretch of seats under the great trees that marked the auditorium this platform too they mounted and looked back and back up the hill it is so big said amy again with the same sense of suppressed energy in her tone too big said james ward and he spoke testily the silly world will never fill it they would rather go to long branch or somewhere where brains are not a consideration 
perhaps they are wise. I don't feel sure, but they are. What is the use in bothering one's brains about all these things? Why not take life easily, have as good a time as you can, and let the rest go? Knowledge of all kinds just increases one's responsibilities, makes life harder, and it is hard enough for most people at best. Yes, she said with exceeding gravity. I thought that too. I have thought of so many things since I came to Chautauqua, and yet I don't know. Haven't we just as much responsibility as we can manage anyhow? And aren't all these things just so many helps to carry on the work with? Oh, I don't know. You say yourself that you never thought of these things before, never realized any responsibilities, until you came here where everybody one meets is so wide awake. Why wasn't the other life the pleasanter? I don't believe I can explain it, she said doubtfully. But I think that the work was there for me, even though I didn't see it just as that path up the hill would be there all the same if I shut my eyes ever so tight. Now he looked upon her in undisguised admiration. She was a logician, though she didn't know it. She arose suddenly from one of the chairs on the stand and ran down the steps. I will take a seat in the audience, she said, and you may be the speaker. It is Sunday, so you must preach a sermon or deliver a missionary address or something of that sort. I have a fancy that you may some day be one of the speakers here, when this place is all filled up with people, perhaps, so you may as well practice on me. What an utterly wild idea, worthy of Paul Adams, he said with flushing face. Yet he liked it. He felt the blood tingling to his fingers' ends with the thought of the power that might be in him, and that possibly might some day be drawn out. It isn't wild at all she said with pretty obstinacy. It is one of the most sensible ideas I have, and I really expect it. But he would make no demonstration for his small audience that day. So presently they strolled away again, still moving toward the lake. His fair-faced companion had been quiet and serious for several minutes. Then she spoke, exactly as though the subject left in the background some time ago was still present with the thoughts of both. You know, Mr. Ward, it was one of this girl's rare and to James Ward fascinating ways, this persisting in addressing him as Mr. Ward, though according to the free and easy customs which obtain in ordinary American society, she was on sufficiently familiar terms to say James. You know, Mr. Ward, that this life is only a little piece of the circle about which we heard this morning. A circle has no end, you see and if it is true that we are only getting ready here to live afterwards don't you think it may be a great difference with our work there what we do toward getting ready here he gave her another of those surprised looks you didn't get that thought from the missionary sermon this morning yes i did not in just so many words but it was all through the sermon I don't belong to that kingdom which is going to increase so fast, and which is gathering in from all nations, but I wish I did. I do truly wish I did, and was helping it on. I think it will make a great difference with my future how soon I commence my work, as well as what kind of work I take. One of those missionary speakers this afternoon said something that I will remember. Death doesn't interrupt some people's work, he said. They have been working for the dear Lord for years, and when they get into his presence they can go right on. 
I've thought about that ever since. It is a foolish feeling, I suppose, but I cannot help thinking that the only thing I could go on with, if I were in heaven, suppose I could get there right now, would be to fold those bright-colored papers. It is really the only work I ever did in my life with a feeling behind it that perhaps some time, if I learned how, I would like to try to use it to help little children, and while teaching them about the papers, I would try to teach them about the way to heaven. But I should have to learn the way, you see, before I could do it, and that I haven't learned. Her voice was very low, very full of feeling. It would have been impossible for even Jack Butler to have sneered at the tremulous tones. James Ward felt not the slightest inclination to sneer. Instead, he was strangely moved. Not all the earnest words that had been spoken to him from many sources seemed to have the power over him that lay in this low, timid voice. They walked on and on, unmindful of the lake spreading like a sea of glass before them, unmindful of the quiet plains of the holy land through which their feet were treading. They wound around Palestine Avenue, walked on toward the south, thence onward to Lake Avenue, and finally, just as many stars were gathering in the evening sky, came out in view of the gleaming pillars of the Hall of Philosophy. All quiet there. The sunset meeting which had been held in that white still place was closed some time since, and their feet, as they stepped on the floor, resounded through the vacant hall. "'It is lovely here,' said Amy. "'I like this building. I can't tell why. I feel all full of little thrills when I come down here and sit and look around.' sometimes i have sat here you didn't know i ever came alone did you i came early oh real early this very morning just as the sun was getting ready to rise it was so beautiful here still and grand and solemn i had silly fancies yet i liked them as if the trees all about were full of spirits whispering looking at me poor little me and wondering and watching what i would do planning perhaps what people would say here in this hall to help me you needn't laugh i'm of a great deal of importance don't you know that man in his morning prayer on the platform said that one human soul was going to live long enough to be worth more than all the wealth of a million worlds like ours i never felt less like laughing in my life said james ward solemnly doesn't it make you want to laugh at me then i'll tell you the rest I thought what if the air all around us were full of spirits planning for us all, for a great many more than us, planning wonderful things, just carrying on their work, you know, doing what God has given them, having been told so much more about us than we know about ourselves, that they can see ahead, and know who will stand over there tomorrow, and what he will say, and what that will do for you or for me, and what we will do in consequence, and what others will do because of us, and then on and on. Oh, do you see what I mean? It makes me dizzy, and I never had such feelings before. It's in the atmosphere, said James Ward, and his face was without a sneer. Still, said Amy timidly, I don't half like any of it. These feelings will not last. I shall go home, and Ollie will come home, and she will come to see me, and we will walk and talk and be just as silly as ever. I don't like any of it. I wish I had somebody to help me. Nothing had ever gone to James Ward's heart like that pitiful little cry for help. 
He was intended by nature to be a strong-willed, self-reliant man. It was part of his fight with himself during these days that his proud nature struggled against the sense of need of help from a stronger one than himself. He desired to be sufficient to his own needs, and he knew that he was not, and it chafed him. Now here was one who shrank from self-reliance, who longed for needed help and looked for it, called pitifully after it. If, indeed, he should settle this question for himself, how easily he could lead her with him! What a simple thing it would be to smooth the path for her feet! And he should like the work! His manhood asserted itself. It was man's business to reach after and aid those who were weaker. It was not beneath any man's dignity to seek his own aid from God. Suddenly the question which he had thought so far from being settled resolved itself into clearness before him. The war which he had waged with his fierce nature for so many days was over, and once more, all unwittingly, had Amy Allison's shy little voice come in to break an evil spell. "'Amy,' he said. It was the first time he had ever called her by that familiar name. "'I will tell you just what you and I both need.' I have known it for several days, and have struggled against it. We need the power of God to help us. We need to belong to his kingdom. I have been thinking about this matter ever since that evening on the boat, when Dr. Monteith asked me how many important questions I was going to settle at Chautauqua, and what my conscience put first in importance. The fact is, Amy, my mother made plain to me in my childhood before she died what was the most important question in life but I have never felt willing to settle it until to-night. Shall we go together, Amy? Shall we kneel down under this roof, with the stars looking in on us, and give ourselves to God in an everlasting covenant? Yes, said Amy, simply and quietly, and together they knelt on the floor of the Hall of Philosophy. O oh, white-pillared hall, devoted to Christian progress as you are, dedicated not to the unknown, but to the true God, who is the recognized centre of every Chautauqua circle, many an honoured name in the world of Christian culture shall, in future years, love to look back to, and do you honour, as the spot where grand resolves were taken, and needed help secured. Yet never in the history of the yet unwritten years shall a fairer, holier, grander scene be given to your story than that in which those two, in early manhood and womanhood, bowed in that consecrated spot, and pledged themselves henceforth and forever to be the Lord's. The missionary meeting held in the amphitheatre was well under way when a slight rustling near one of the side entrances proclaimed some tardy arrivals, and those who were sufficiently disturbed, or sufficiently heedless to look around, saw two young people slip quietly into a vacant seat. Two silly young things who have been out walking said a grave-faced woman to herself. What a pity they could not find a better way in which to spend Sabbath evening. That is one of the drawbacks to Chautauqua. It lets down the bars and gives young people a chance to do unwise things. I am afraid that young man is not advancing, said Dr. Monteith with a sigh, and he leaned his head on his hand and forgot to listen to the sermon while he tried to plan ways of reaching James Ward. I wonder if there is really any hope of trying to influence that pretty little simpleton, murmured Caroline, 
as with disapproving eyes she watched the two late ones slip into seats. I wonder if I ought to try. It seems so hopeless. Then she sighed. Strike all your harps in glory, called to one another the watching angels. The ringing call went up and down and across the celestial fields. Strike the golden harps. Two more from among the children of men are redeemed. And the missionary sermon went on, and the thoughts of a few heart-troubled ones went on, and, all unknown to them, the song went on in heaven. We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power, and hast reigned. End of chapter 22